Okay, good afternoon, everyone. Um, it's lovely to see you all. Um, John and I were speaking, and we were not quite sure how many we would have. So, yeah, we're quite delighted you are here. Um, my name is Linda Oladoku. I'm from the King's Church in Epsom, and um, really delighted to be here. It's our second year at um, West Point, so great. Um, before we start, can we have a quick word of prayer, if you don't mind? Yep, let's pray. Father, we give you thanks and praise for a lovely afternoon like this. Um, thank you for the amazing time that we've been having here at West Point. Thank you for your grace, O oh God, and the outpouring of your mercy upon us, O oh Lord. Um, we thank you for the opportunity this afternoon to just explore, O oh God, what um, commission is all about, Father, and to just be together and be able to ask questions um, where we're not sure. Uh, we want to commit this session to you. We ask Holy Spirit that you take full control. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. Um, John will be taking um, this afternoon's session, and I'm sure some of you know John already. Um, John Groves has been with the Commission, the um, New Frontiers family, right from the start. So he's probably in a very good place to to talk to us about what Commission is all about. Um, John is a pastor teacher. He's led um, two churches in the past, Winchester and um, and Hastings, and he has overseen other churches as well. He's currently on Guy's um, leadership team, but also on the International Hub. Um, so he will be taking us through the session. Um, the session is all about what commission is and how it operates, how it all started, and you know how, how it all operates. So I'll hand you over to John now. Thank you, Linda. It's really uh, nice to meet you. We, we've only really just met, but we've got to know each other because Linda needed to know a little bit about me, <laughs> which was really nice to, to contact, make contact. Um, I, I think before I, I go any further, I'll just say a little bit about myself personally. Um, I'm married to Marion, and uh, we have three uh, adult children and ten grandchildren. And um, over the years, I was a school teacher for 10 years, um, teaching English and history and religious studies in a large boys' comprehensive in Hastings. Um, and then uh, God called us, I think, through very simple, pragmatic things. The little house church we were part of the leadership of grew. And uh, way back in the late 1970s, uh, we'd made contact with Terry. And so one of the early churches linking with Terry. And in the early 80s, it became evident that I couldn't really carry on doing the schooling work and, and the um, church work, so I went full-time. And uh, that's, as I say, that's history all now. The rest is history. So I've been involved in church leadership for uh, many years and uh, worked with Terry on his team as well uh, and, and worked with other churches there. And a lot of what I'm going to share with you today will be rooted into those experiences and a little bit, uh, I think broadly two halves to what I want to say, a biblical look at some backgrounds about Ephesians 4 and what we try to do, how we try to work that out, and then practical about commission. And then I want to give you some a chance to ask me some questions. I can't guarantee I'll be able to answer them all, but I uh, will try. But I, what I want to do is give you a real sense of why we do what we do and what our, our vision and heart is for it. And uh, as I said, I worked with Terry for a number of years. The church grew. I took over leadership. We planted two churches from Hastings, one of which went very well, one of which didn't go so well. So 
we won all um, there, and, uh, but we had to handle both of those. And then um, we bought a fairly big building, actually, quite early on in the 1990s. So we went through that. It was very exciting. The church grew and flourished, thank God. And then in the early 2000s, I've, God called us to Winchester to take over from Greg Haslam, who moved to Westminster Chapel to lead that. And so it was another change for us to a church that's quite... Uh, big and established with different roots. We'd come from a house church. That was more of a FIEC church, in fact, that had changed. And uh, then I linked up with Guy and worked with Guy on uh, a sort of regional capacity until what happened to it, which I will save the details for till later, when New Frontiers broke down into these spheres and Guy ultimately led one of them. And I'm on his team and have been since then working with the church as a commission. So... We need to get into the Bible bit first. And my beautiful assistant, Matt, who's our youth pastor, he's, he's going to give you out some notes. This looks pretty imposing. And don't please faint in the heat when you see those notes. I've deliberately given you a rather full note, so you can take them away if you're that interested in the detail. And I hope some of you are. You can go over them and look over them. But this is something I've probably done uh, before in maybe a two-seminar two context. So... Those would be the notes that I might have used on two probably slightly shorter seminars, but uh, I'm by no means going to wade through every detail. But I do think it's important we talk about a biblical background uh, to what we do and how we try to work that out. I don't know how you're, I hope you're enjoying, I'm sure you are, being here at West Point. Uh, we are. And uh, I, I found it particularly uh, exciting and, and stirring, actually, to hear Terry speaking because he's, he's been restating some very fundamental things, very briefly, really, but w with great uh, anointing and clarity. So even this morning, it was relevant to what we're talking about today, when he was talking about the Antioch church. Um, and so when we look at this, we are not looking at this theoretically. This, to me, would be something I would have come to biblically over some period of time I wouldn't have understood this sort of stuff when I was not only first saved which wouldn't have been surprising because I was about 12 but but when I was first baptized in the Holy Spirit which happened to me when I was at university after as a result indirectly of a mission led by an Anglican called uh, David Watson who was a charismatic Anglican it was an amazing impact on our university saw a number of people 200 I think a huge response in a year in a week and, uh, but also, he brought the whole thing of the Holy Spirit, gifts of the Spirit, paradigm shift for me, two years of turmoil, came through into it. Um, and then, as the years have gone by, you have, with fresh eyes, you look at the Scriptures. And uh, <clears throat> this would be one area, the whole thing that's often called Ephesians 4 Ministries. Now, the reason we need to look at it is because we're ultimately going to find this is a background to what is commission. I mean, I could give you a very simple answer to commission, and we can finish, probably you wish we did, we can finish in about 30 seconds, which is this. The commission is a family of churches together on a mission led by an apostolically gifted person with his team. And that would be Guy Miller and his team. And, uh, you know, that's it. Bye-bye. Enjoy the sunshine. But that isn't probably it. And you haven't come... You, you want to understand why do we do it? How does it work? What is... Uh, what are we we're trying to do? What do we succeed in doing? And I do want to get into the detail as we go through. But let's have this Ephesians 4 passage in mind. So I'm going to read it to you, and then I'm going to 
refer to quite a few things in those notes, but by no means, as I say, everything. Feel free to take them away and if you're interested to look through them in detail. So in Ephesians 4, it says this, verse 7, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Can I immediately link that to Terry this morning? He talked about the grace for our prophet, the grace for apostle. Did you, if you were there, you can just nod to show me. But you might not have been there, so this isn't a check. <laughs> um, and the great, so there are different gifts, different grace gifts. They're not all in one person. And so uh, these were different ones apportioned by Jesus when he ascended on high and he gave them to his church. We won't read the next two verses simply because it slightly complicates what I want to say. It's in parenthesis anyway. So going to verse 11, so Christ himself gave these gifts. Now that's the line of thinking, these gifts, apostles, the prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. Now what were they given for? To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, one of the ways Jesus is building his church and maturing his church is giving people who he's gifted to help do that, to help build it and mature it. So they're people we're talking about who have got giftings from the Holy Spirit. Now, many other gifts, as you'll know, if you know 1 Corinthians 12 and uh, Romans 12 too, you know, there's gifts, a lot of gifts, but we're particularly talking about the ones highlighted here in Ephesians 4, uh, which seem to be broadly leadership gifts, if I can use that term. They, I think I can. They are also for building up the church and equipping it. And I think the first thing I'd like to say is if you recognize those gifts and you're looking for them, you need to receive them in the right way as gifts from the risen Christ for his church. So we've got to, I mean, like all gifting, we've got to go through a process of is this, uh, you know, is this way, I guess, is this of God? Is this a thing I understand? And when I become in faith that there are such things as these gifts today, that Jesus is going to send them to help build my church, then I need to look for where I recognize them operating, like you do when you join a church, I hope. You you look for a church where you feel God's joined you to uh, pastoral gifting, shepherding gifting, and then you want to own that as your for the time being until you move on, and hopefully that won't be quickly. You're going to be committed to that. You're going to receive from that gift similar principles to what we're talking about with these gifts now I believe that all the gifts we've just read about and we can have questions later if you've got a question on this but I believe that they are still operating today now the controversial one's going to be apostles so I'll give a few moments to that in a minute but I believe they are still operating today because I think there is a qualification in verse 13 that these gifts are given until. There's a quite clear definition there that they're going to be achieving something and there's going to be a time when they're not needed when we have, and I shouldn't have closed my Bible here, should I? Because I want to refer to it. Until we, <laughs> he says stalling, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, which strikes me as not yet how the church is. 
Possibly it won't quite get there until Jesus returns, I would dare to say, and the full maturity is there. But we certainly feel the job is still being done. It's not like that building is finished, everything's up, you know, it's all polished and gleaming. No, the work is still in progress. One of the things that I found God spoke to me about early on in my own experience of the Holy Spirit was, it was revelation to me at the time, clearly these gifts are for a period designated I think as you read carefully in Acts and elsewhere and that period is from Jesus ascension till his return a period of history which we're in the last days might be a broad generic way it's described in the New Testament but uh, you know when you read 1 Corinthians 13 it's clear that there's going to come a time when that which is perfect has arrived. That's the return of Christ, the new heavens and new earth. We won't need all these gifts then. We'll see as him face to face. We'll know as we're known. It's going to be glorious. The job will be finished. But until it is, Jesus is building his church through the gifting, the Holy Spirit is sent to bring gifting uh, of various sorts including these so I think it's all ongoing now let's grab the hot potato for five minutes what about apostle John you're not saying that Guy Miller and Terry Virgo are the same as John and Peter and Paul and uh, no I'm not that they don't write the Bible I remember I remember Terry telling a story uh light-heartedly uh he said uh one day, R.T. Kendall, who, if you may or may not have heard about, R.T. Kendall used to be at Westminster Chapel, phoned him up and said, Terry, I can't do his accent, I've got a real conundrum. I'm trying to read, he was reading a verse, he wasn't sure how to interpret. He said, so I thought, I need an apostle to help me. So I phoned up to ask a real apostle what he thinks of this verse. Now, obviously, there was a big tongue in a cheek there from R.T. Kendall, making a little bit of fun at Terry's expense. But, but actually, Terry lightheartedly referred it. We are not saying these people are all in the same category. You know, Terry might, might as well have been the same as John or somebody like that, Peter. So what are we saying? And I could take longer than I will, but the notes, I hope, will give you some headlines. But I will briefly refer to it. I personally have come to the view that the word apostle, which simply means sent one, sent on a mission by God, I think it is used in several ways in the New Testament. And this is not hard to find when you get into the scriptures. And I think they, the ways it's used do broadly fit rather neatly into three different categories. There is one person uniquely described as an apostle, and that is Jesus Christ. Hebrews 3 verse 1, he is the apostle of our faith. He is the one, and there's only one, Jesus, sent from the Father to come and be the cornerstone of the whole thing. Nobody else will ever do what Jesus did. Not a hint of that. He died, rose again. He is the great apostle of our faith. No contest there. Sent by the Father. There are 12 people who Jesus chose. Now, one of them, and this bit is fascinating. You probably, it's the sort of thing you can discuss over tea. But one of them was a villain. One of them was a devil, Judas. Jesus t chose 12. And when the Judas figure emerged and committed suicide, at the beginning of Acts, they are very careful to replace him. And they do it by casting lots. And uh, 
it's quite, I mean, you always think what happened to the guy who didn't get his name picked out of the hat. But anyway, they, they had a couple and they cast lots. And if you read it carefully, they were looking for a pretty particular qualification. Someone who had heard Jesus, who'd seen him, who knew him personally, who'd seen him die and risen. I think it's pretty clear there, and knew his teaching. And they found one, and they chose one by lots, and that was the 12. Now, there's a reference in uh, Revelation 21, verse 14, to the 12 apostles of the Lamb, who are the foundation stones of the New Jerusalem, the church. So these 12 are not going to be duplicated, nor are they going to suddenly become 14, 15, or 16. So there are clearly, a, there's a uniqueness of the 12 chosen by Jesus in his ministry on earth and commissioned to be the foundation stones of what he's building. And there, nobody can duplicate them. And they're the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So you've got the Father sending Jesus, you've got the Son choosing the 12, and then you've got, and the one to discuss over tea is Paul, because I'm not sure where he fits in. Did they get it wrong in Acts 1? Is Paul who they should have waited for? Did they get it right in Acts 1? And is Paul somebody, something different? Mm, I don't know the answer, so don't ask me at the end, because you wanted to ask me a hard question. That's a hard question, and I've just told you I can't answer it. I can't give you a proper answer anyway. What I do find is the word apostle is used for uh, more flexibly for a number of other people in the New Testament. You will find people such as Barnabas, Silas, referred to as apostle. And apostolos, the original word, is actually used quite flexibly. If we have time, uh, we might even look at one of these passages. We probably won't because we probably won't have time. It just interests me. But, but in 2 Corinthians 8, Paul writes about a whole... Uh, group of guys who, who he's sending to the church. I mean, it's more than just Titus. He mentions Titus, but it's two or three others. And he uses a word which I think in your NIV, or my NIV, is translated messenger of the churches, which is actually apostle of the churches, uh, apostolos. So the word is used quite a lot of people sent, I would argue, by the Holy Spirit's gifting to work in churches. So here, I hope I haven't lost you, I think there's three uses of the word. Jesus, the great apostle of faith, sent by the Father. Jesus choosing those, who, after a night of prayer, by the way, choosing 12 to be with him. One replaced, 12 apostles of the Lamb, foundation stones reflected in Revelation 21. And then apostles, who the Holy Spirit gifts for the ongoing work of the church. Now, particularly that second category, that third category, big pardon, third category, um, there seems to be, and again, I'm going to rely a little bit on Paul, for example, there seems to be quite a lot of understanding of what they do, if you look at Paul. And if you look at what Paul asks people like Titus and Timothy to do, you will find this general term of apostle used for people who we might even call church planting, evangelists. We might use the word missionaries breaking into new territory, people who appoint and oversee local churches, appoint elders, people who correct churches that go off, off beam and put them right, people who in a nicer way you could say father to the churches, sort of pastoral father. Uh, these, uh, then there's the term architect, which Paul uses for himself. Paul is a conundrum. <laughs> I acknowledge that. He's clearly bigger than, than what we're talking about in Terry Virgo and Guy Miller. But he's probably bigger than what we're talking about with, Paul, uh, with Silas and uh, 
possibly Barnabas and even the guys like Titus and Timothy, you know, in a way they're doing a job. I don't want to overpress the terminology, but we sometimes do like to use the right terms for things. And I sometimes think, well, why not? I believe that this gifting has been operating for 2,000 years. So I think there are plenty of people who fit this bracket. I could name some that would be well known to most of us through history. I think Wesley, Whitfield were apostolic in their gifting. I think people like Calvin and Luther probably were. People like Booth, Carey, Spurgeon, Hudson Taylor. In this country and abroad, and you, if you read your history you will often find the word apostle used sort of metaphorically of people. So they don't quite like to give them the term, but they'll talk about, oh, he was the apostle to Wales, or he was the apostle to the northeast of England. Well, they're trying to describe something that's biblical. This, this person got out there and, and, and planted churches and broke into new areas. And, and in the end, like a Wesley, if he had a, a which he clearly did, had a quite a major organisational gift, you know, built a whole network um, and so on and so forth. Okay, so I think apostles still operate today. I think the gift still operates today. And I would stick my neck out and say, Terry Virgo's got apostolic gifting and Guy Miller has. But I'm not asking you to sign up and say, well, I've got a you know, sign in blood that I, that, that I recognize him as an apostle. You don't have to do that. But I do think you need to recognize that this gift is still used today. I think it's better if you recognize it Go with it and let Jesus use it rather than just... We don't even want to spend too long arguing about terminology. I think we need it. And we'll talk a little more practically in a moment about how it works out. But just quickly to to skim through what's in Ephesians 4, because it helps you. What is the job description for these people? Now, just to say, on Guy's team, we won't all be... I wouldn't want to be called an apostle. I would be a pastor teacher by gifting little bit of prophetic gifting as well and I would be happy to see myself as part of a team used to help churches so I'm a Titus Timothy type figure I'm I'm not claiming to be a Paul I'm saying you know I will go where sent by and given a job by the leader of the apostolic team and I think a lot of people are like that in the teams but what so talking about all of that, what are we trying to do? And I am talking not just biblically, but about we, people like myself and Guy Miller and, and others on his team. And I'll give you more details in the practical half of my talk. We are trying to prepare God's people for works of service. Verse 12. That means equipping the church to do the business it's called to do. And actually, that's what all pastors and leaders should be doing. We're not there to do the work. We're not uh, professionals employed to do all the thinking and all the planning and a bit like a lawyer or a doctor, and you just come to us for instruction. That We're equipping the church to do works of service. And that's what leadership in the church is and should be. We serve the church by bringing, releasing, I know I'm Unify 10, but I will mention it, by releasing people into their ministry and calling God. I think that's what our goal should be, to build up the church in that way and to release people to serve and prepare people for works of service. Build up the body of Christ. Make the church stronger, better, bigger. So we're looking to make the church grow through salvations and discipleship, bigger and better, laying good foundations in local churches to make sure they do that, helping them to have vision, direction, keeping them on course, helping them to be enriched in their diet so that they grow strong uh, followers of Jesus, 
helping, I'm going just down through Ephesians 4 quickly, helping achieve unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. So that is growing in understanding and knowledge about, it's what Terry mentioned this morning again. It's very helpful for me, he did this. You know, people need to know who they are in Christ. So I believe with our apostolic ministry and involvement with churches, there is a doctrinal angle. Now it's not a nasty sort of pinching like, well here you must sign up to all these points. And yet there is shape to it. There is boundary. There is discipline. It's the, there was with Paul that there's a sense of teaching people what we believe the gospel teaches, saying, what does it? What is the doctrine we believe? What is the information in the Bible, the mold of teaching, the form of teaching? So I think there's a teaching role for the Ephesians 4 team, and that would be true of the commission team, to bring shape to what we believe. It, it's releasing our trust but it's, it's definitely formative. I think there'll be a dynamism to the teaching. It needs to be experiential. We need to bring the presence of God. We need to see healings, signs and wonders. That's a challenge. I think it should go with Ephesians 4 ministries. I think we want to see more and more, but signs and wonders are part of the deal. And there is an element of practical or directional teaching, which you get in the New Testament, where Paul and others are quite clear in teaching about family life finances your personal behavior just read the book of ephesians and the second half of it i think we need to be giving that sort of teaching i mean i i love this stuff teaching in the bible my little complaint would be i don't think we do enough of this <laughs> moan 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 so you know i think we can get big vision and we're going to be talking about spheres and reaching the nations quickly some point during the next half hour but but actually i think there is another role for us which some of us are determined to maintain that we help people to understand how the bible works in your life and in your family and your work and uh, and how it works out in the dynamics of 21st century britain but actually practical detail. So the whole thing is aimed to bring Christians and churches to a maturity in Christ. By God's grace, we want to see healthy churches that reflect Jesus. When I go, and I've been involved in the number number of years over church plants, uh, one, two, three, four, four, or is it five, from churches that I've been leading. We've planted churches, and four, and I would want to put foundational stuff in so that it's, it's healthy from the start. And the shape is there for building a healthy church, good foundation stones. But you also want to monitor it. You want to say, I mean, again, Terry, I think, was touching on that this morning. Are we still walking in the spirit? Oh, yesterday, I found it very challenging. Are we this prayer? You know, there's an ongoing apostolic Ephesians 4 ministry to keep us on track. It's not just done and dusted once you've been in there for the first few months or something like that. So, to bring them to maturity in Christ. Let's turn to the practical. We're going a little bit uh, quicker, perhaps, than uh, I hope hope you're following in in the notes. If you want to look at them later, don't worry. I think, practically, it works out like this. And this is sort of the question, what are Ephesians 4 ministries today? I'm drawing on scriptural principles. I think we need to have people who are recognized specifically as people who can come into churches and give the sort of ministry that we've been looking at. So I think we need definition. I'm not always sure we can push it as hard as 
we should, well, we, we'd like, because I think you've got to be careful. You're looking for people, and I'll touch this in a moment, you're looking for people to recognise gifting as well. But I do think it helps, and it's helped me over the years, when someone like a Terry or a Guy say, a bit like Paul does with Timothy, this, this is a good, good person, they hold my values, please receive them well. So there's something defined there. We're not, when I go to the churches I go to, I don't want to only think of myself as a visiting speaker, though I'm happy to do that. I, I, I do do it sometimes in places, but there's a little more going on Guy's behalf, bringing something shaping and thoughtful. Someone was talking to me only over these two days about a visit which I might make in, in, in December there. And I'm, I'm just saying, you know, we're talking about what I do when I go, what would serve you well, what sort of subject should I pick up? You know, because this is more than, we're just nice to have John Groves preaching one morning. Uh, it might be not nice, but, you know, but whatever. So uh, it's more like, the, the, what, what, is, what is an ongoing shaping role here? Uh, so I think they need to be specific, commended ministries they, Paul commended Timothy commended Titus it really helps if if Guy says these people I recognize something in them they're part of my team receive them well they will help you I think they need to be specified as being useful in that way Ephesians 4 broadly the way we're talking about it and they need to be commended by the sending ministry presumably by the apostolic gift that's recognized in the group of churches where you are and um, I suppose in themselves, those people have, need to have a little bit of credibility, which is uh, where well, they need to have some gifting. So um, I, I guess it helps if gifting begins to be shown. This is the mystery of all sorts of gifting, isn't it? If you're a local church leader and you're looking to bring someone into leadership, you don't want to just choose them because you like the look of them or because you feel you should. You're looking for a gifting and character all the time, aren't you? A bit of both. And so you're, you're, you're giving people a little bit of space to see if they've got that gift, if people are fed by them or helped by them or ministered to by them, if their prophecies are on the mark and good. And then you'd be able to, ah, yes, we're recognizing something here. So it's a little the same. I think uh, someone like myself will have, probably now got a bit of a track record at a certain level not not massive but I've led two churches they've both done reasonably well I've sort of been used by Terry I've seen some failures as well as successes I hasten to say but I've, I've helped with churches some of which have gone on well so there's a bit of a like we can commend this person there's a bit of gift there and recognition so all of those things need to happen under God's leading but when they have happened in terms of the sending gift, the, the apostolic team, you, if you are a church leader in a church, you need to receive them right. And that's why the notes go on to talk about receiving Ephesians 4 ministries, which I am not going to go into in detail, less than the first part, because I would have used those notes in speaking to church leaders in the past. So I just want to flag up briefly this fact, I think there is a very telling passage in 2 Corinthians, and it runs really from about chapter 10 to 13, where Paul makes an appeal to the Corinthians to receive what he's bringing well. And uh, I think it's, at times it's quite stirring. It's almost like moving because he, 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 he loves them, but he, if they don't receive his ministry, he can't do much to help them. So I think it's very important that churches understand 
that we are limited. We on the Ephesians 4 team, commission teams, are limited to what, in a sense, you'll let us do. Uh, not that we want you to roll over and give in and say, oh, do anything you like. No, it's a long way from that. But there's a biblical principle of an authority, which is very important. It works in the local church as well. Spiritual authority is not allowed to lord it over people. You are not supposed to be bossing people about. It has to be received well. You, there is a word that's not a, 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 doesn't appeal today, submission, but it's in the Bible. But that word is not about, I can't make you submit. That's more like wrestling. I can't, excuse me, Richard, I just happen to know you. I can't go to Richard and say, you must submit to me. That is totally unbiblical. But if Richard was in my church, which by the way isn't, if he was, and he said, look, I recognize you as having a pastoral gift and uh, thing. It, it helps me and him to work well if he has a submissive attitude. So when he listens to me preaching, he doesn't think, cool, that's old John again, only. He perhaps does think that, but he might add to that. But he's the guy who feeds me. I want to hear God from him this morning. And maybe if he comes and asks advice, he does so with a, a sort of openness of heart, we might say, a bit more submissive. John, you know, I need you to pray for me and help me. That's a good attitude for receiving ministry. And it's on your side. It can't be on the, you can't lord it over people and say you, only when it comes to Ill, uh, spiritual discipline, possibly, and immorality or something. But you can't normally. And so it's the same at this level. Uh, I mean, we on Guy's team would be limited to some degree by whether an authority is recognized and people receive us well and want to hear from us and learn from us. But I would say this. Uh, I mean, I may not be preaching the right audience here this afternoon because I'm going to say about church leaders. I don't know how many of you are in church leadership. But I would say as church leaders, it is good to, this is what I've done, to agree together as an eldership or leadership team that we will, if we ever hit a dispute together, if we ever hit an irreconcilable battle, we will submit to the apostolic ministry. We will let them, if you like, in modern parlance, be the referee. We'll, we'll submit it. Now, I think you need, that's the sort of thing where you mend the roof when the sun's shining. You don't say that when it's all chaotic and everybody's getting uppity. You, 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 you say at a good time, say, let's, let's agree that, you know, we would submit a major dispute to those who are serving us. It's one of the ways you could, I think, bring a security to your own team and to the church. But it's the sort of thing I think Paul's looking for. when he And he talks about those over you in the Lord. We all need people over us in the Lord. Church leaders need people over them in the Lord. So do those on the apostolic team. We need people checking us accountability. If you were, if we were able to spend long on this, I would say spiritual warfare features in 2 Corinthians 10. So sometimes Ephesians 4 ministries are a key factor in spiritual warfare. Breakthrough, good warfare, breakthrough of strongholds, but sometimes in bringing resolution to Jezebelic spirits in the church, to, to real spiritual battles. I think there is a spiritual warfare element to apostolic ministry and Paul seems to touch that in 2 Corinthians 10 verses 3 to 6 and then there's another part which I will give a moment to which you get in 2 Corinthians 10 about apostolic ministry and it's the bit where the word spheres comes in especially if you've got an NIV or an NSAB Um, but it's not in all translations but let's look for a moment at 2 Corinthians 10 
and verses 13 to 16. And Paul is writing to this church that he's had a large part in serving apostolically. And he says, we, however, will not boast beyond our proper limits, verse 13 of chapter 10, but we'll confine our boasting to the sphere of service God himself has assigned to us, a sphere that also includes you. Now, we're going to analyze this briefly, verse by verse, just two or three verses. So Paul, come with me in imagination, Paul is a mighty apostolic guy, but not everybody sees him as apostolic or works to him. And it would seem, reading carefully in the New Testament, that Peter has one sphere of ministry, largely to Jews. Paul has one that's largely to Gentiles. And of course, there's plenty of other people. John, who wrote Revelation, had a whole group of churches that looked to him and so on and so forth. And often they overlapped in their ministry, which I think is an important thing for modern uh, apostles to realize. But the, there was a sense in which Paul could say, what we've just read here, that he has a field or sphere where these churches are his particular responsibility. And that's how we would see something like commission. That New Frontiers, when Terry handed over, he handed over in the UK, and we'll stick with the UK at the moment, to five sons, spiritual sons, five guys he saw as having apostolic gifting. And Guy Miller was one of them. The others were Dave Holden, uh, Dave Devonish, uh, Jeremy Simpkins, um, Mike Betts. Have I got more? Five? I don't know. Guy Miller. And he would encourage them, and he did encourage them publicly, if you weren't there, I'm just telling you, uh, at Brighton, to build their sphere of ministry. And in a way, he did, they're not rivals. It's more like they've got to develop uh, their field of, of ministry and gift. And if we are a commissioned church, we're part of Guy Miller's sphere. That's how it works. The word commission is a modern thing you need. You need names, you need advertising and PR and websites, and you also need a name for the charity commission. And there's lots of clunky stuff. But I personally think the names can be slightly um, okay, but they're, I mean, sorry, I, I won't put this there. They're, they're not the most important thing, are they? They're great, and obviously they're prayed and thought about, and they have got uh, meaning to them, but but really, it's about the ministry, and it. I mean, you can't. Call, guy wouldn't want it to be the Guy Miller sphere. That'd be horrible. It needs to be something much more uh, non-egotistical. So I, I mean, I get it, but actually, we're talking about ministry and sphere of service, like Paul was. We happen to call ours commission, which is a fine name, and it, it's about reaching the nations. But it's not like a denominational, now we belong to this denomination. And, it, you know, denominations are names, you know. And, and sometimes I, I tussle with the dilemma that, you, you, you know, it gets a little bit... Denomination of any form can be a little over-divisive. In the end, it's relational. You're relating to a person and his team. This is Guy Miller and his team a sphere of ministry where they serve those churches so it is a little bit nonsensical if i can put it like that to belong to commission for example and say i don't want any of those people ministering to my church i don't want any of them coming in um i just want to belong i want to sign my club dues and be part of the commission name that that's missing the whole point this is a sphere of ministry of an apostle and his team and it's relational and it's ministerial and it happens to be called commission for a lot of good reasons and some practical reasons. 
But in the end, that's how these spheres have developed. They're, they're like this. And so Paul goes on to write, we're not going too far in our boasting, as would be the case if we'd not come to you. Basically, he's saying, we've served you and proved that you're in our sphere, if you like. And we came to you with the gospel. Neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. Our hope, and this is a good verse, is that, I love this verse, our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will greatly expand so that we can preach the gospel to the regions beyond you. That's a great verse. That's what it's about. It's about getting caught up in the sphere and mission and vision, in our case, of Guy and his team. Uh, here it was Paul. I'm, you Corinthians, I want to bless you. And actually, he's having to sort them out a bit at the moment. I want you to receive my authoritative input. You, you know, I, I've wept over you. you know, I'm your father Jew. You know, it's a real heart appeal, relational. It's full of relational comments, these chapters, 10 to 13. But in it, he's also saying, I want you caught up that you grow in your faith and we are able to expand what we're doing with you and go beyond to regions beyond that is guy miller's vision that's that's guy and he's right and i think we need it i'm a local church pastor by my most of my uh, ministry life and you get ever so parochial and ever so uh, nitty gritty it's inevitable and I think we need that. Uh, we don't need the helicopter at the moment, but we need that vision that expands us to other nations. I going way back. I can remember when my uh, the two of us, Don Smith and myself, were leading the Hastings Church, which had grown out of a house church, and we were, you know, into the gifts of the Spirit. But our vision was Hastings, or you know, Hastings, you know. Funny place to have a vision for, but we did have a vision for it. It's a great place. And, uh, you know, and Terry caught us up in something bigger. And I remember the very first time Terry took me abroad back in the 80s, mid 80s. And you thought, it's like, I never thought I'd even get on a big plane with four engines. I'm a local school teacher. I'm building a local church. And suddenly, you know, you're going to Mexico and Terry, I was just on a team with it, and it's just expanding your horizons. And, you, and then there's more, and you come to things like this, and it's, it's getting caught up. It's exciting, and it makes the local church healthy. And the funny thing is, and I've experienced this many times, but it, right from the start, we thought we were doing pretty well, maybe 100 people in Hastings. We're building this church. We get caught up in a bigger thing. And one of your fears is, oh, I mustn't get distracted. It won't, you know, I need to focus on the local church. Yes, you do. But actually, we grew more as we got caught up in the bigger thing. It expands. You know, you think, well, surely, you know, that will be the opposite. You'll be too distracted. No, not if you properly get caught up in it in the vision. I think some of the churches that stay small and stuck, being blunt, are ones that don't get caught up in the bigger thing. And don't see it and don't go with it. I really do. And I do that on the basis of being a local church leader for over 30 years. Got it. Got the T-shirt. Totally understand it. I live with the reality. The only church that matters is King's Church Hastings. I know what it means, but I know it also is ultimately quite constricting and restricting if you don't have that bigger vision. Honestly do feel that so this is one of the things you get caught up in and the gospel regions beyond 
Okay. I don't think that means the apostolic doesn't feel for the local church. You, we haven't got time, but you could read in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul's heart for them. He cares deeply for the church. And I would say Terry and Guy are outstanding in that way as well. I do know them personally, which is a privilege. But we had a meal with Terry and Wendy yesterday. Over the years, I've always been amazed and actually challenged by how well Terry knows the churches and the people in them. Challenged because I'm not great on remembering detail and names sometimes. And you know, he really, and I, we said, how are you doing these days? Because he's obviously in a slightly different sphere, so a slightly different area of work, ministry. You know, he's handed over to these guys. I said, how are you doing going around? And I said, well, it's like going around with a big family and friends. He loves it, walking around here. And, you know, because and, there is these relationships in here. And you pick it up from Paul as well. So, I'm going to give you question time by 3 o'clock. We don't f technically finish till 3.30, but we can finish a bit early if you haven't got many questions. But I want to talk very practically about commission in this last quarter of an hour, who we are. I've got another thing to dish out. Could you give out those other ones? I'm not going to... This one, also, I'm not going to work through. This is for your own use and interest. It's a much newer document. The other one was one I used for teaching before. If everybody had one of those first, that'd be good. Then I'll take 15 minutes just to speak to it a little bit. If you haven't got one, wave. In, there's a few at the front here, please. Yeah, thank you. Now, this also is for you to take away. Uh, and you are a privileged person to be in this seminar. You thought, hmm, there's only a few of us. Did we draw the short straw when you came in? No, you are privileged. I don't know how many other people here are going to go away with a document like this. It's quite recent. It was drawn up by uh, Mike Mick Taylor and essentially Guy Miller. But Mick Taylor did all the work. Guy Miller just checked it over. Uh, no, he did a bit more than that. But it is mostly Mick's work. And, and it does, I think, wonderfully capture a more contemporary summary of who we are in terms of our values and our core doctrines. Now, I would say I'm not going to work through this at all. I would say you can take it away and read it through. Some of it I've been talking about anyway. But we are a group of churches that this value system is uh, a, a, a significant part of. Now, I would say if you're not part of a commission church or leading a church and not part of commission, this is a very important document for you to look through, thoughtfully and prayerfully, because there is quite a lot of bandwidth within commission, quite a wide bandwidth in some areas, uh, but there are some pretty clear visionary barriers, if you like, of things, not barriers, boundaries, the right word, boundaries, where, where we, we are agreed on some major stuff to do with the Holy Spirit, grace, core leadership values. You know, a lot of it is very familiar if you're used to New Frontiers. It's, it, in some ways, it's just a continuation of how Terry would have built. But it's expressed, um, I think, well and succinctly overall and it's not something you sign up to like a, 
uh, a statement of faith. It's more a an expression of core values, as it says, heart values of the Commission churches and of Guy himself and his team. So just scanning it, you know, the word spirit thing is very important. The grace thing is very important. We would have eldership teams in local churches. We'd have a complementarian view of, le- of eldership and leadership. That, I mean, that's a huge subject. I'm not glossing over it. Very happy to deal with it. But it, it can always be a bit of a, a, a digression. You might, I mean, it's best just to say we are complementarian. But I think in practice, probably the biggest thing that means is that our eldership teams are male. I think we have a number of women working in, in significant roles in our ranks these days. We have uh, a couple of ladies on our, our UK leadership team, Cara, and uh, 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 others helping and serving. We're trying to understand that. I mean, my own church situation, I've been in New Frontiers for years uh, and way back in Hastings in the ni- ni- 80s and 90s. We had a, a lady as our church administrator, significant sized church, nearly 400, full-time job. We had a lady treasurer two days a week. We had ladies leading uh, small groups. Um, so I, I think, and we had a lady worship leader. So I think, you know, it's not quite, NFI would be no females included. I've heard that a thousand times. And, uh, and, and, and to be honest, that has been a, a caricature, but we have not served ourselves well. And I don't think we have allowed, though. I, my own personal example, I had a church where I had a team in leadership which had, as I say, a full-time lady administrator of a church with a sizable building, 400 uh, nearly members, 380 members. It's quite a significant role, all the rest of it, but she didn't do the notices. One of us guys did the notices. Now, you look back, you think, why was that? You know, why would, did we do that? I mean, it's 1980s, give me a break. But, you know, but in a sense, her heart was in the right place, but there was stuff like you didn't think of. You know, I could give you loads more examples than that. So I think there's things which we haven't done well, but I think there are some fundamental truths that we don't want to lose about God's amazing creation of of men and women and how they work together in as a complementary role. But I think the where it boils down to is the uh, eldership, leadership, spiritual leadership of the local church. And, you know, I think in our day, we're unlikely to have a, a, a lady apostle in... Um, in commission we've got women on the broader team leading the the thing and as I've said and we've got um, other roles that are developing but I think Paul had uh, quite a variety of people on his teams it's it's amazing who, who, who you read carefully who he's commending including ladies but I think you don't sense that the apostolic role or the eldership role uh, was was anything other than male now you may not be happy with that but you might as well hear that because that's how we work as commission there are plenty of good churches that would not be of that view and we have a more strictly and strong egalitarian theology you just need to know that's how we are we can discuss it but it's probably best done privately because this afternoon is a bit like saying where we are <laughs> and what we are um, and I've always liked that with church. So I've always, for example, when I'm a local church leader, wanted to lay out for people wanting to join the church. Not that one so much, more about the Holy Spirit, more about um, apostolic ministry. And that. And so basically, if you don't like it, don't get on the bus in a nice as possible way. But that's the number on the bus at the moment, as far as we can see. And we're trying to walk with integrity with God. So that, that, those things and others are laid out a little bit uh, more fully in this document, 
Mission values, very important, guys, great on that. Very committed to relationships and working relationally. That doesn't mean you can have close relationships with everybody. Of course it doesn't, doesn't in a large church. Uh, so hopefully Guy is relational, but your closer relationship might well be with one of Guy's teams. I personally am on Guy's UK leadership team and I work more closely into a handful of churches, um, Chichester, Portsmouth, uh, Southampton, Bristol, um, Madrid and Bangalore. Uh, and, and, and that's fine. And so they will see more of me than they do a guy, but guy still goes in there sometimes. That's fine. We work as a team and we overlap. But uh, the relational tightness might be, or closeness, better than tightness, closeness might be more with myself than Guy because you'll see more of me. So that, that, and you feel that happened in the New Testament with Titus and Timothy and the way Paul sent them and used them. So there's an international hub. This is commission now I'm talking about. This won't be in that document, by the way. That document summarizes the core values. There's an international hub, which is Guy, Malcolm Kays, you may or may not who all these people are, myself, Andrew Lawrence, Simon Walker, Miles, who does huge job, wonderful job, uh, all together with um, administration and, and helping. Vinu and Inda from India, uh, Mike Shaw, uh, from Portugal and Kevin uh, Bartlett from Spain and we meet together once or no twice a year and sort of pray and talk and plan and, and there's a lot of prayer together and praying for one another about just how things work internationally across the commission family because we've got churches in those places India Portugal Spain and we we're expecting to expand beyond that we've got links with other places USA and Serbia and there may be others the vision is tens of nations and in its original form guy was felt God put in his heart you know to see 10 nations we're into 10 nations by about 2020 I think wisely he doesn't want to tie too much to the target date but the idea is to get into more nations all the time and do that through serving churches where they see people saved, thousands of lives changed, and hundreds of churches that are in these places. But, but ultimately into different nations, very much part of Guy's vision. Uh, there's also a UK leadership team, which is Guy, myself, Miles, uh, Gary Borland and Cara Newman are on that team. Uh, they would be coming in with those sort of specialist giftings, really. They're not church leaders or particularly uh, ministering to churches directly in the way I might be, that's more of a general skill mix of, uh, well, Gary's been an amazing, and Cara, amazing plus in terms of their business acumen, their thinking behind the shore strategy, helping Guy to achieve, and us to achieve what we want to achieve, which we were a bit of a, a, a we were a bit a hick, I think. Um, until until they served us so well as they are. Dave Rogers, Duncan Lee, some of these names you may or may not know, Mike, Mick Taylor, uh, we've got Malcolm on there again, and Simon, Steve Petch, Tim Blaber recently joining us, Andrew Lawrence. So there's a good spread there. Now, that's the UK leadership team. I think that will be flexible. I think you'll see more names on there and less as the years. These teams will be a bit flexible. A core probably will stay there but you'll see a little bit of movement because it's as jobs are needed and as people arise to do them there's a care for the churches team which is led by steve petch who's now at the coin woking it's got simon walker myself i do feature a few bits sorry about that i'm trying to dial back actually 
I am trying to be semi-retired, but um, I'm enjoying what I do, so it's not a main, a moan, and I'm looking to pass the baton on, and I see some places where it's easier to see that happening. Guys who, who are working with me emerging, it's happening. So uh, there's also uh, Tim on there, Tim Blaber, Andrew Lawrence and Malcolm Case. And we would have the detailed sort of stuff of looking at the churches. We have to focus on how do we help and serve the churches. If you don't know, the Commission churches are four regions that they meet together on a Thursday, I think it usually is or so, once a month where the leaders and teams, it's not just the leaders, teams who are available will come together and pray there's a team as a, a region around the home counties steve petch will be leading it malcolm case has been now it'll be steve petch there's a team east uh, east team i think we call it which is sort of east hampshire sussex west sussex and north a bit to about basingstoke and that that's uh, tim blaber now used to be steve um uh, petch and with Tim Blaber, be, uh, myself and uh, Steve Chick from Hope Church. We sort of work with him a bit. And then there's uh, the Southwest down in the West, Southwest team. That's Simon Walker. And there's a sort of central group region with Andrew Lawrence. So those are, are just functionally for gathering the churches together because there's quite a number. There's over 50 churches in the UK. And that gives us a slightly more manageable way to pray and support. They are great meetings. And they're essentially a follow-on from Terry's Thursdays. They've just gone down. It's like a tradition, but it's a healthy tradition. That's gone down through the years that we meet together on a Thursday and pray and support each other. They are good meetings. I enjoy them. We're... Uh, it, it, as I said, through Gary and Cara and people like that, we're trying to be a bit more smart and clear, clear about how we achieve the vision that's on Guy's heart for, for, for thousands of lives transformed through hundreds of churches in tens of nations. And so there are four teams, which you've probably heard about, Shore teams, Send, Unify, Release, Equip, trying to help us to do this well. They are serving us superbly. That is their purpose. There's a whole mixture of people. I haven't even got the, I couldn't tell you all the people who are on each of the teams. And it will get broader, I think, as we try and implement the ideas that are coming through. But this is all to serve the vision that we can effectively grow uh, commission numerically but that's not the main goal. But as we grow numerically, we can reach regions beyond. We can see churches saved, uh, uh, planted, see people saved. We can reach other nations. And you'll know, if you hear Guy Miller for more than about twice, you'll know that's on his heart, the nations and sending and church planting and uh, expanding. Um, I, as I finish, I want to say, I think the teams are really flexible and evolving. And if I had time, I would take you to yet another scripture, which I'm not going to do, in 2 Corinthians 8, verses 16 to 24, where you just get an example of Paul writing about a team. And it seems to me very flexible that he's sending a Titus. He's talking about other people coming. He's talking about people administrating the gift. And it's clear that there's a sort of dynamism to the team. He commends Phoebe at one time as a deacon of one church. He's commending a quite significant player in the church there you find him using names occasionally and you think there's something going on where there's a flexibility there's he sends titus and timothy at different times to corinth perhaps depending on who's available depending on what's needed and all of that is part of what we're doing it's not too rigid i don't think and i don't think it should be and i think it's flexible but if you were to join commission you can't we can join it 
of course you can. But you're not really joining an organization. You're joining a team of people on a mission together, a team of churches on a mission together, led by Guy and his team. And you, you'd need to be thinking, does this scratch where I itch? Does this work for me? Is this something I want to be part of? And I hope you do. And then you would say, I want to be part of it. If you ever wanted to leave it, and people do, what you do is you leave. <laughs> <laughs> it's as simple as that. I mean, it's basically relational. There's not much point if you're not getting anything and if you're not feeling this is leading me anywhere, well, why would you? I mean, hopefully you would not make a decision like an oven. I would trust in a local church that you would join thoughtfully and prayerfully and you would leave slowly, thoughtfully and prayerfully unless you were moving away. These are not things anybody would do lightly, I trust. And I think you would talk about it both in the joining process and the leaving process. But you would talk to people. You would pray with people. You'd think about what would serve you. Where does this fit to my uh, understanding of Scripture? And I trust in the last hour I've been able to cover enough for you to know how we think and what we're trying to do and how I would say that fits with the Bible. Uh, I, I certainly feel it does although obviously interpreted in a very different situation, 21st century. So I have certainly spoken for long enough and I'm going to stop and I'm going to give you a moment or two to pause for breath. I would love it if there are some questions. It would really help me to know where I could uh, answer something I might have completely missed or, or just need to give more information. So we just have a little rummage for a second. We'll acknowledge that, you, give you a minute and then I'd like you, if you've got a question, to ask me. So we just take a minute. And we might get you to speak it into the microphone, because that would help, wouldn't it? But we can only get the microphone a certain distance. So it looks like you're within range. Um, yeah, thank you very much. Uh, very clear to know the, the structure of it all. It's a couple of questions. Um, the first is really because I don't know my Bible very well. But you've got Bible references on all your subtitles. And I wondered if you could put, point me in the right direction on the women leadership and the... Oh, yes, no Bible references. Yeah, do you have any? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. I didn't get that, draw that document up, he says. Not me, Governor. Um, yes, I, I know, that's interesting. I think one of the reasons might be that... Um, Yes, and I'm I, exactly, and I'm thinking because it is a hot potato. I thinking, I'm trying to get around the thinking here that Mick might have felt. Ooh, uh, I'm not sure which verses you know interpret. I'll be as simple as I can. If I if I was putting though some verses there, I think because it's largely about eldership in that context, I would be using the Timothy and Titus passages about eldership, and so I would be. Uh, looking for them right now, um, I would be giving 1 Timothy 3 verses 1 right through to 13. And I will give you a comment on that because I really respect that you've brought that. It's very helpful for me. Thank you. But I would also pop in the Titus reference, which I think, if I can find it quickly. Um, uh, where's Titus on? Oh, I'm looking at 2 Timothy. That might help. I've got the right book. Um, Titus on eldership. Oh, here we go. Um, so Titus 1 and uh, down 5 through to 9. But I would, just going back to Timothy, 
do you, can I answer your question as fully as I can? Do, you, do other people mind? I don't. I don't want. I just want to give you an idea of my thinking, and I believe I would be in harmony with Guy and Mick Taylor. Um, in these passages, uh, particularly the Timothy one, I, I genuinely believe it designates elders in in a male terminology all right he must manage his own family well and obviously that raises people say can you have single elders so there's huge little issues you need to debate but for my just to get a context for my money when it gets to deacons i think uh it's not talking about wives which it sometimes translates so in verse 11 i think it is women uh, and because I think that's literally what it is in the original language, uh, and 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 it has specific qualifications for women deacons, which it doesn't have, for example, for elders' wives. So I think you have quite an interesting example here, and that's what I'm using it as, of a an issue which probably is mostly a huge issue for us rather than historically, which is that there would be seen a role in family life, and it would be taken back to Adam and Eve, that, that there was a responsibility more than a privilege, but it had privilege, of the, the man was head of the home uh, and Adam was head of Eve, and, and, and therefore the spiritual leadership of the local church had a sort of fathering role. But that under that umbrella of those eldership, spiritual leaders, there should be many ministries and many gifts, and I would say one that's flagged up here, recognised and respected, would have been deacons, which required women who were deacons serving the church to have character qualifications which were similar to the men, so they were defined as character qualifications. I think for me, and I mean it, we were talking about this only yesterday, right? So I know it's a, a hugely important subject. For me, there is a sense in which I believe that men and women are redemptively equal, but as God made us, there are, he have different functions. Uh, and that's in obvious in some areas, of course, um, procreation and things. But I, I think um, in this area of the home covering leadership role and the church family leadership role it would seem to be the responsibility was with men some men not all men in the church case and I think I'm just trying to choose my words carefully because I think with Adam and Eve God seemed to hold Adam responsible in a highly critical way for what happens so he should not have abdicated responsibility and when he blames Eve, that, that's not good enough. Um, and I think it is about responsibility. Now, I am aware that we as a ch group of churches have not, I think, fully done well over the years of releasing women as well as men into areas of ministry and service. I do not think that leadership is only male. I, there was a book once written, Leadership is Male. I wouldn't have agreed with that title. I do actually think, though, that there is a spiritual covering authority thing, which I'm not sure that I feel free, personally, and I probably am in harmony with people like Guy, to say I've understood that we can just, because of how so many things have changed in modern world, that, oh, you just get rid of it. I, I don't feel free to do that. So we do still have uh, uh, men as elders. But I think that um, oversight role 
should be to bring a security and a freedom for a whole range of service and ministry under that uh, across the board of, of, of men, women and, and young people and others. Now, for me, these are the passages that I would particularly go to. There are other passages that are even slightly more uh, tricky, like I don't permit a woman to teach um, a man, which I, I think, I only pull a face because I think you've got to work your way through that. I don't think that means women can't can't speak, but um, that's there in, is it chapter 3 of 2 Timothy or 1 Timothy? I'm not great on, it's 2 Timothy, isn't it? 2 Timothy 2.12, thank you. 1 Timothy 2.12, thanks. Uh, my, my wife probably come up here and help me with these references. I mean, she's thought about this a lot. So um, do you want to help me with it? I'm doing all right. She's great. You can shout from this, but it might be easier if you shout from slightly closer because I'm getting deaf now, I'm old. There is... Um, Sorry, you did shout it out, Marion. Was it 1 Timothy 2.12? And if you look at that one, 11 and 12, I mean, that looks like pretty hardcore stuff, really. Uh, and you'll, you'll, If you don't know it, you'll probably look at that and think, gosh, uh, 11 to 13. I genuinely believe that's in the context of doctrinal uh, uh, teaching, which would be almost apostolic level of laying down the law uh, which obviously they didn't have a New Testament and was going on at that time. But I think it does reflect something of the thinking of um, of the Bible about the, the role I'm talking about, about spiritual oversight and protection and covering. And I think um, there are bits in Corinthians. So uh, once we get into this, I, I'm sorry, I don't know your name, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> sorry. Uh, once we get into this, uh, you would go, I'd go to all sorts of places. There's a place in Corinthians, again, where you can see women prophesying, which is good. And then you get a little bit in 1 Corinthians 14, where Paul says, I don't allow a woman to speak in church, which again, you think, ah, what's that about? And it clearly can't mean that they don't prophesy. And it seems to mean about asking, uh, uh, in this case, a divisive sort of attacking question. And he says they should ask their husbands at home. And, and you go all through these passages, and some of us have tussled with these for years. But I think the background, why have you even referred to them? Isn't rather give you these scriptures. The background is about this different uh, role of like the Adam and Eve thing, the, the, the spiritual oversight and leadership that God in a way holds uh, Adam responsible, he holds the elders responsible in the church. And it's under that umbrella that other ministry happens. Would you want to say anything, Mary? Because you're a better thinker on this than I am. You've had to. Do you want to add anything? It's a big subject. Go, come, come out and speak it, because you enjoyed it. Yeah, please, please, people won't hear you. Um, the best book that I have ever come across on this is Sharon James, God's Design for Women. And actually, there's another very, very, that uh, Mike Betts thing, yeah, Angela yeah, Kem. There's, uh, you'll probably... In under relational ministries, it's relational another mission. relational mission. It, excuse me, this is just facts. Guide, relational uh, mission is one of the five spheres of New Frontiers, and it Mike Betts now. Right, yeah, true. Okay, mission. it's a talk by Mike Betts and Angela Kem 
and I think it's called the, the Role of Men and Women in Ministry. It's a talk, and they both share on it. Angela Kem is, uh, she's quite a prophetic type of woman. Uh, she came from South Africa originally. Um, I mean, she's a really interesting character, but she's worked through a lot of this. Uh, yeah, I still would, I would go for the Sharon James book because you will, she will tackle all of these scriptures she's in it as well. Scripture. Yeah, she is. Yeah. And, and it's so good that we think and talk about it. I'm serious. That you need, and the scriptures, because, um, you know, we are all going to be changing as we go along, but we have got to watch that we don't, um, we don't go with something till we were clearing the Bible about it. Anybody else want to ask an associated question? Yes, please. Um, could I just say I think we're in a global church there's one church and my concern is how do new frontiers relate to churches in their communities often we say we're reaching to Hastings we're reaching to this community and there are loads of churches in that community and my concern is how are we relating to others and how much is new frontiers setting up a new group which I'm sure John Wesley didn't intend to but have we learned anything from history? Can we develop EI approach if you like, but how do we relate to others? Do they not love Jesus? These are the questions I'd like to hear answered. Okay, well, I speak as someone who was on the EA Council for eight years, which I enjoyed, um, up in London with other churches. And uh, we've worked both in Hastings and Winchester very well with other churches ourselves. So I personally got on extremely well with a whole group, an Anglican, a Baptist a vineyard in, in Winchester. And what I have found is that uh, that key area of dialogue, relationship, praying together, planning together is vital. I think we have got a very complicated thing historically. Of course we have. And I think we uh, have never felt we're the only Christians in town. I've never felt that. And I think most, I can say that with confidence. I think the word church is also used very flexibly in the New Testament. So it's multiple uses. So uh, there's a church in Chloe's household, there's the church in Samaria and Judea. So I think you get, the reality is that the church, it seems, is in a way two extremes. Jesus talks about it in Matthew 16 and Matthew 18. It's the only time he uses the word church. There's the universal church, everyone who, like Peter, makes a confession. Jesus, your Lord, and you are who you say you are. You are the Messiah. All who truly have that revelation and that statement of faith and that confession genuinely believe Jesus is who he is and says he is, they must be in the one true church, the body of Christ. Then in Matthew 18, isn't it, he says, if there's a dispute between two of you and da-da-da and you can't resolve it and tell it to the church and he, he talks about gathering and it, so you've got these small gatherings where they all know each other there seems to be definition they're able to gather them together 
So there's discipline, which is an interesting factor, which we don't live with so much today, that you know whether you're in or out. You, you know, if you fail, it's not so much. It's amazingly minor sin, we'd call it. It's not a major collapse of morality. It's a dispute which is unresolved and gets into bitterness. And if someone won't hear, then you discipline them, put them outside as though they weren't in that group until they repent. So in broad terms, I've always believed, personally, that, that in simple broad terms, the church is in two categories. There's all those who own Jesus as Lord, and then there are local bodies who we get into names, as I already referred to even with New Frontiers, but, but they, they are just groups who relate together as disciples and own Jesus as Lord. But clearly, in the early church and for the last 2,000 years, there is more than that. There is the, the scaffolding, as I once heard Gerald Coates describe it of, it, of of either denominations or, in our context, the new churches, all this ministry stuff that I've been talking about. So there's the stuff that helps, hopefully, those two. Growth by conversions, more Christians, local churches get strong and healthy and united. We then have to work out, which is where you're coming in, how do those different local churches work together in any one environment any one city, geographical area. And I personally think, and I would not disagree at all, that it's very important that they work together well, that they do not badmouth each other, they don't criticise each other, that as much as they possibly can, they are able to function together. You know, or Often it is more in areas of uh, prayer and evangelism, uh, and when we get into too much ecclesiology, we, we struggle. <laughs> but I think it is particularly important that we do not say we are the only ones and we are the church in Hastings. So I wouldn't say, I would sort of, I've got, got hot, it's a weird tension because if you go to a place and you want to do the thing, but um, you want to own it in a way. But I think you have to walk, I would always say with people, a few people I've worked with, you do need to walk in a way where you hopefully you can work with those who are already there. I know church planting is, we're not the only ones doing it. Uh, I mean, we, we've had our nose put out a joint as well. <laughs> uh, you know, um, a, big, a big machine nowadays is Holy Trinity Brompton that can come in. <laughs> so we all live with this. And uh, I guess we could talk again, like with the women's, about the details. But I think we must honour each other, must say we're not the only show in town. These are our brothers and sisters and then work out how we work together. And I've fortunately had a couple of times when that worked very well, but not every time, but Winchester did very well. Um, I was very blessed by it. Thank you for raising the issue. It wasn't quite a question, but it was a good point to bring up. Like, uh, I mean, it was a sort of question, I suppose, was it? Was it a question? Yeah. How, how do we relate? <laughs> yeah. yeah, how do we relate to other questions? I'm just trying to think, was there a question? Or just, uh, yeah, um, well, that, that's what I would say. Yeah. Good questions. Anybody else? You haven't got a nasty one for me. You said you would have. All oh, right. Okay. Um, I've only got one question, really. Um, with regards to service. Sorry. Sorry. Oh, I beg your pardon. Okay. Um, with regards to service and and helping to sort of build up the smaller churches to to do with like Life Church or the Commission. Um, some churches I've heard are struggling. So. What is the sort of um, plan or policy in place to help? Yeah. Mm. Thank you. I, I know. Yes, the lady said uh, that, you know, small churches are often struggling. What's the plan to help them? Um, how do you help them? I understand 
what you're talking about. I, because I'm a little more of a pastor teacher by gift. That's the hat I would wear more often. And I do feel that we need to make sure we are as thorough in helping and supporting those smaller churches or the ones that are struggling, as you put it, or I would put it, uh, as well as expanding, expanding, and, you know. And, and I think there is a creative tension in any team, in Ephesians 4, local church, any team, where you get, if you like, extreme, the pastoral and the evangelistic and the prophetic. You know, the evangelistic are all willing. You know, I've even found on my local church team, they, they want to be out saving people and they're not that bothered what, what's happening to those we've already saved, whereas the pastoral gifts are saying, hang on, we've got enough to look after already. And so there's a sort of creative tension, and I would feel that in our own team. It's not a problem, it's a creative. So I think people like Guy and others are often punching forward. I'm probably, along with a few of my other friends on the Care for the Churches team, a bit saying... Yeah, we've got to look after what we've got as well. And I, I think, um, personally, that's not a problem. I think that's a creative tension, but it has to be... We don't want to be all one thing or the other. And I think, um, personally, if you were in a church situation where you felt a bit neglected... I, I'm not saying you are. I think you should ask someone on the team for a bit of help it may be I don't know anything about your situation I'm not even hinting at that for you but it's a more a general thing really I think we want to help churches as much and strengthen churches as much as break into new areas and it may be it's a what I call horses for courses it may be you need a different input that's got a bit more of a, a local church pastoral gift um because that's why you have a variety team. Paul would send, it seems, different people for different situations. We don't know the full details, but he clearly does. And, and, and he clearly, Timothy is a slightly different character to Titus. And it's interesting how he writes about them. Titus looks as though he's a bit more br brusque and tough than Timothy. So, you know, people, different people are needed. But I would say within the commission family, we would not want to neglect or leave struggling a church so if you felt anybody not just yourself that was happening i'd like you to alert someone to it really that's all, that's my reaction because i think i from where i sit if we don't strengthen and build up the churches we got what's the point of just doing new ones <laughs> but i could have somebody else in the team say oh we've got to go forward new ventures religious so we we work together but i would be strongly supportive of what you're concerned about i can honestly say that <laughs> in the West Country. People in Torbay and various other countries are struggling. I mean, Southampton, we're planting. Yeah, Southampton's buzzing away, yeah. So, well, thank you. Uh, we're, you know, I, I think we're a sort of, some are aware of that. I, I don't tend to work that way, but thank you. Yeah. Anything else? Did you have a hand waving around? No, somewhere here. No? Okay. I thought I saw something out of corner of my eye. It could be my, multi, could be my uh, bifocals or something. <laughs> okay. So can I just pray as we finish? Lord, I thank you for all we've talked about. I thank you, Lord, that we're looking at tricky things. In the reality is, Lord, we live in a complex world, uh, changing values uh, of uh, uh, men and women's roles in society, 
multiple church groups and denominations, two big issues we've touched, rarely touched on. Lord, I pray you'd help us to walk with grace, help us to walk with love, help us to walk with a mutual honouring of all who serve you and love you. Lord, help us to have the things we hold dear, have them hold them well, and yet hold them with a, a, a dignity and a grace that we don't criticise others. And I pray, Lord, that you would cause these churches, which we do represent, to grow and flourish, that we will see hundreds of churches in tens of nations, and we'll certainly see thousands of lives transformed as the gospel goes across this nation and others. Lord, may we play our part to the full in what you're doing in the world today. I pray that in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen. Amen. Thank you for your patience, and I hope it's helpful. Thank <clears throat> you.